0: and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. We've got another on this day in history. And this time, we are looking at our brand spanking new offensive coordinator. And the kind of interesting thing, and I guess that's up for you to decide. If that doesn't sound interesting, then uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. But the funny thing is, you, you, we kind of forget he even exists because LaFleur is the offensive coordinator. He's sort of like the offensive coordinator assistant. Assistant to the offensive coordinator, if you will. And although being the Dwight Schroot of the Green Bay Packers maybe isn't the greatest thing in the world, he does have a pretty key role in all this. And it's kind of interesting to go back and just kind of, you know, because at the time of the hiring, you make a huge deal about it. Like, we got to know everything about the guy. So you kind of get to listen and hear a little bit about some of the more in-depth stuff that we all probably forgot. So, anyways, from that perspective, it's a little bit interesting, and it's good to be able to revisit that a little bit. Obviously, there was some stuff that I knew then that I didn't don't remember now. There's also some stuff I know now that I obviously didn't know then. But, anyways, that is what today is about. We'll take a break, get into it. Otherwise, I will talk to you all tomorrow. Have a good one. Talk to you later. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. can't really continue what we started yesterday because of the uh, news, but we'll kind of do it a little bit because I want to look a little bit more at the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, primarily because we have hired a new offensive coordinator. It is the offensive coordinator from the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm sure you already know that, but uh, because there's such a massive discrepancy between 2017 Jaguars and 2018 Jaguars, I want to kind of look at what's going on over there in Jacksonville. And uh, we'll kind of do that little comparative thing that I was talking about doing. I wanted to do it with championship teams, but I guess we'll do it with trash teams like the Jaguars to see what we can figure out about our new offensive coordinator. Um, I also want to go back and look at some of his history, kind of get an idea, you know, as I tend to do, of what it is this man has been through. Talk very briefly about this uh, very coveted special teams coordinator that we're trying to get, but not very much time because I just don't really understand it. Not saying it's a bad thing, I'm just, you know what it is? There's just, there's no numbers for me to look at to really decide if this is a good or bad decision. And none of us can really do it. And I'm doing the absolute best I can to pull out all the information I can to make a judgment. But it's really not based on numbers. That's all there is to it. I mean, they didn't, like I talked about before, when they hired He Murphy talked, as you all know, for about 85 hours about the process and about what they liked about him and never once brought up anything about statistics that I can remember. Finally, somebody brings up what happened in Tennessee, and he kind of looked like, oh, um, wait, what happened in Tennessee? I mean, he mentioned the injury, and he even elaborated to a degree that I didn't know, but he, he just kind of, like, looked cross-eyed at him, like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you talking about statistics? I don't understand, like, okay, who cares? That's not why we hired him. It seems to me like there's a general, and it makes sense to a degree because i'll try to finish that sentence later (laughs) there's a general and it makes sense you know like like i've said in the past there's these guys all kind of know the same stuff you know you can take hackett and sit him down and he can break down what the rams are doing right we can we can watch the rams film and he can go okay here's what they're doing and then he can just copy that whole playbook down and and you know it's not like It's not a matter of you've got a secret bag of tricks and who has the best secret bag of tricks to come. Nobody has any secrets. I think at the end of the day, they sat down with somebody who is a West Coast guy and they're just looking for a certain kind of energy, a certain kind of, again, grind, right? Are you the kind of guy that's really going to grind and stay on the forefront? What kind of attitude do you bring? What kind of motivating, motivating? I tried to find a new word and the same word came out. My brain is not functioning today. I really thought a new word was coming out right then. (laughs) <laughs> what in the world was that whatever we'll skip that but he's got an energy he has a general overall philosophy and uh, you know when we talk about Lafleur, when he's talking about his coaches he's talking about just like general philosophy right he's when he sat down with our defensive coordinator he he wants a, a general philosophy and and Petten fit that philosophy and he's like all right we're good I think that was a lot of what happened with Hackett it was it was what kind of energy are you bringing what, how how do you feel like are we on the same page with what kind of an offense we want to see and I'm not even necessarily talking about scheme I mean to a degree yeah there's there's a lot of overlap between the schemes and I'm sure that helps but at the end of the day you've got 10 candidates that all kind of have you know a west coast you know bent to it and a general understanding of of how to run an offense and, and Lafleur is going to be in charge of that anyways so you know, it's, it's really just comes down to, do you understand West Coast and all that kind of stuff? And yes, well, then you check that box. But getting back to the guy out of Miami, I, I just, I mean, yeah, depending on what you look at, Miami had one of the better special teams units, right? Pro Football Focus liked what they had over there. Football Outsiders hated it. They, they had like the 30th ranked special teams unit or something to that degree. I, I, but again, it's it's you know what players do you have and there's more of an in-depth thing and a lot of it has to do with reputation right he's i mean they gave him a title of like assistant head coach because they didn't want to lose him you know very brilliant mind kind of guy you know somebody that if he wasn't if he was an offensive coordinator as opposed to a special teams coordinator he'd probably be interviewing for head coaching jobs so it's it's uh intelligence it's he's a fast riser it's it's all this different stuff so as i'm looking for what have you done with special teams units everybody else is looking at like, what kind of a, a pedigree do you have? You know, what kind of a reputation do you carry? And he, he's he's essentially like a head coach that happens to, to teach special teams. And is he good at it? I don't know. It doesn't seem to be the, the priority. And maybe there's more to it than, or maybe that is more of what teams need and want. Again, I don't, I don't think anybody in the Green Bay Packers organization over the last however many years, Mike McCarthy, Dom Capers, there is not a lack of knowledge between those two guys. They've been around a long time. They know everything there is to know about being a head coach. They know everything there is to know, you know, Mike McCarthy, about the West Coast offense, including, as I've said, modern West Coast. I mean, he, he knows what's out there. He has to watch film on this stuff. He was maybe too stubborn to try to incorporate any of it. But I don't think it's unfair to say he's brilliant. And Dom Capers, I think it wouldn't be unfair to call him brilliant. The biggest issue we had with the coaching staff, and I think the reason a lot of these guys are leaving, is because they got complacent. They didn't have that energy, that fire, that drive, that desire. So one minute I can't talk, and now I'm rhyming. So I, I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to unearth anything if we end up getting that guy. All I know is that I want him. The guy I'm speaking about, by the way, is Darren Rizzi, do Ritchie, I, I, don't, I don't know. Who knows? If it's pronounced like pizza, it's Ritzi, I guess. And because I want it to be pronounced like pizza, it's going to be Ritzi. And I want to hire him because it look, his name looks like pizza. So there you go. That's my analysis. All right, so I don't want to spend hours going through this guy's resume, um, but I want to at least touch on it just to see kind of where he's been. So he started off at the age of 23 in 2002 at UC Davis as an assistant linebackers coach, which is strange because that's the only time he's ever been defense probably a pretty good move to get away from linebackers after that because if you want a career in the nfl don't go defense the next year he's an offensive assistant for stanford no real notable uh coach or anything like that they did have however trent edwards was interestingly enough trent edwards did get you know into the nfl and was reunited in 2008 and 9 with uh, nathaniel hackett with the buffalo bills so kind of an interesting little tidbit there But uh, he was an offensive assistant in 2013, coordinator's assistant in 2004, and then recruiting coordinator in 2005 before getting an offensive quality control job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How did he end up getting an NFL job with very little experience on a garbage football team in college? Probably because his dad, Paul Hackett, was a quarterback's coach in 2006 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this was a John Gruden-led team. Gus Bradley was defensive quality control assistant. Jay Gruden, offensive assistant. So a lot of relatively big names working for John Gruden. The team overall ended up going uh, four and twelve. But this is a, you know, it's a, it's a John Gruden West Coast offense. John Gruden kind of got his cut his teeth, not really, but his first kind of long termist job was was under Holmgren, and Holmgren ended up he started off under Bill Walsh. So that's kind of it's kind of how that started. And Bill Walsh is kind of where it all starts as far as West Coast goes. And to kind of bring this all full circle, to prove that this is all one big, giant, uh, good old boys club, the GM of the Bill Walsh team was John McVay, which is Sean McVay's grandpa. So Sean McVay's grandpa was Bill Walsh's boss. Burn. So anyways, after a couple years of offensive quality control coach with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he goes on to Buffalo in 2008, still with uh, offensive quality control. This was uh, under Dick Geron. Not a super great team, obviously. He did work with Alex Van Pelt, though, who was the quarterback's coach, which is somebody that I, I don't know why. I know he's with Cincinnati and probably isn't planning on going anywhere, but I would be calling him every hour. Please come back. Please come back. Please come back. Please come back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. McCarthy shouldn't have fired you. We fired him. We should have kept you. You're a genius. We love you. Please come back. Not even because he's any good at anything, just because Aaron Rodgers really, 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 really likes him. And that would be kind of nice. Just please come back. But whatever, I guess he's not coming back. But uh, this was a seven-win team and then a six-win team. Dick Jerron ended up getting fired. Alex Van Pelt gets uh, promoted to offensive coordinator. And after that year, he goes back to Syracuse. Well, back to college, this time to Syracuse. This time, though, he gets his first actual coaching job he's a quarterback slash tight ends coach uh this is under doug marone as the head coach of syracuse they start their first year at five and seven offensive points per game 24.2 and ryan Nassib, who is uh not a good nfl coach threw for 2685 yards 62.4 completion percentage 2012 they're scoring 30 points per game with uh nathaniel hackett getting promoted to offensive coordinator Nassib throws for 3,749 yards. Actually, I skipped a year. Let me let me try this one more time. So, year one, 22.2 points. Nassib is uh, 2,334 yards. This is when he was a quarterbacks coach. 2011, as an offensive coordinator, they go from 22 points to 24 points. Nassib throws from 2,300-ish to 2,600-ish yards. Then in 2012, they go eight and five, scoring 30 points per game. Nassib throws for 3,700 yards, so about 1,000 more yards than last year. So the offense kind of took off a little bit. The success uh, landed uh, landed Doug Marone a Buffalo Bills head coaching job. He decided he wanted Nathaniel Hackett at right at his side. So he got hired, wanted to drag him with him. So prior to them arriving, the um, Chan Gailey Buffalo Bills were 6-10. and 10, Their first year there with uh, Nathaniel Hackett as offensive coordinator. Mike Pettin, by the way, defensive coordinator, so these guys know each other. I don't know if you guys have heard of that yet, but uh, yeah, his first offensive coordinator job in the NFL, he was paired with Mike Pettin as defensive coordinator. So that's a pretty cool little pairing there. But they again go 6-10. and 10. Interestingly enough, this is listed as an Air Coriel offense. So Nathaniel Hackett is west coast i'm not sure exactly how or why maybe it's because that's what they ran at syracuse so they figured they were going to try to bring that kind of offense to the buffalo bills i don't really know but uh, this is with ej Manuel, uh you know, fred jackson and cj spiller wide receiver scott chandler steve johnson robert woods just not a super great team 2014 as you remember uh, Petton didn't really stick around at buffalo very long so this is now jim schwartz uh, this year, Doug Marone and Nathaniel Hackett go 9-7, and seven, so one game better. Only scoring 21.4 points per game, but this time it's with Kyle Orton at quarterback. Fred Jackson, C.J. Spiller, pretty much the same trash guys. Same garbage quarterback, same garbage everybody. The only real big upgrade is that Sammy Watkins goes on the team, and he goes for almost 1,000 yards in his first year, so that was kind of a big upgrade. But again, Kyle Orton, so take that for what it's worth. The next year, Doug Marone gets a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars as assistant head coach slash offensive line coach. Guess who he brings along with him. How he has the power to bring him along, I don't know. Maybe it was contingent on that. But he ends up bringing along Nathaniel Hackett with him. He insists that Nathaniel Hackett does not ever leave his side. So obviously, from Doug Marone's standpoint, this guy is an absolute gem and he's never going to let him leave his side. right? He's had plenty of opportunities to leave him in the lurch, leave him behind, He refuses to go anywhere without Nathaniel Hackett with him. Since 2009 in Syracuse, he's been dragging him along. So Hackett now kind of has to downgrade a little bit to quarterback's coach because, you know, Doug Marone isn't exactly a head coach. He doesn't have the authority maybe to do that, but they find a spot for him. They're like, all right, he can can coach our quarterback, but that's about it. So for the first two years, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, 2015 and 2016, he's the quarterback's coach. 2016, he gets the additional title, though, promotion of quarterbacks coach slash interim offensive coordinator. So again, they kind of want him to be the offensive coordinator, but they kind of already got that job with somebody else. Greg Olson, by the way, is that guy. 2015-2016 uh, Blake Bortles is pretty much straight trash. Not too much worse than he's always been, but kind of still pretty trash. Uh, after going 3-13 and 13 in 2016, Doug Marone is out, or excuse me, Doug Marone is in, taking Gus Bradley's seat after Gus Bradley went 2 and 12, Doug Marone steps up as the interim coach. He goes 1 and 1, so 50 percent, not bad. But what does he do? He promotes Nathaniel Hackett. First order of business. <laughs> First order of business, Nathaniel Hackett, you are now the offensive coordinator, which was the plan all along. The very next year, they take a three-win team, make him a 10 and 6 team, scoring 26.1 points per game, fifth in the NFL, going to the playoffs beating the Buffalo Bills in the wild card, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers 45 to 42 and then barely losing to the Patriots 20 to 24. They almost went to the Super Bowl 1 year after being a three-win team. I don't know why everybody in the world wouldn't be impressed by that. Right? That in and of itself is a situation where you look at it and go, this guy should be a head coach. This guy's a freak. Now, the big caveat, however, is, yeah, but let's fast forward a year, they were straight trash. Well, that's kind of what I want to talk about. 2018, they go 5-11, and 11. they're only scoring 15.3 points per game, 31 out of 32. They were 31st out of 32 teams on offense. 31st in points, 27th in yards, uh, 28th in turnovers with 29 turnovers, dead last in fumbles lost, 29th in first downs. 30th in passing yards per attempt, 26th in rushing yards per attempt, 30th in, in rushing touchdown, 31st in drives ending in a score, 25th in 4th down confer- conversion percentage, uh, 31st in, in uh, red zone scoring. I mean, just, just horrible across the board. So let's talk about it. What exactly happened? Why did this team that was just, I mean, you, you talk about like the ultimate turnaround become just this absolute joke. So let's start with uh, the quarterback. Now, Blake Bortles is really bad. There's no question about it. But things took a turn in 2018. Well, it was so bad he got benched for Cody Kessler. Let's just call it what it is. They just picked up Cody Kessler in March. By October, at halftime, Bortles was benched. He lost two fumbles. After halftime, they're like, all right, Cody, you're going in. The assumption was after Week 7, going into Week 8, it was going to be Cody Kessler, and they're like, no, 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 no. we'll put in Blake Bortles. However, Cody Kessler was still getting first-team reps, so it was, it, was, it was 50-50. Now, we're talking Cody Kessler. This guy is completely horrible. Third-round pick by the Browns in 2016. That should be all you need to know. But they decided to go back to Blake Bortles. Cool. By November, well, let me just read this. This is November 19th. The headline says, the Jaguars will not bench Blake Bortles for Week 12. So he played in week 12, but it's already like, so are you guys going to bench this guy or what? Let me just read this to you. When asked if Bortles was losing confidence, Doug Marone said, you'd have to ask Bortles. Marone has clearly lost all confidence in his quarterback. The Jaguars only let him attempt 18 passes in Sunday's meltdown loss to the Steelers. Already benched once this season, Bortles would surely be benched twice, will surely be benched twice, though the Jaguars' campaign is in the gutter perhaps lessening the urgency. In other words, what does it matter? It appears the Jaguars will finally move in a different direction this offseason. Complete meltdown. So what happened in Week 12? He completed 12 of 23 passes for 127 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. That's what happened in Week 12. What happened after that? Jaguars benched Blake Bortles. Allow me to read this. Uh, Jaguars benched Blake Bortles. Bortles play man. I really thought my brain was working again. This is rough. Bortles's play had left the Jaguars with little choice, running a risk-averse offense the past two weeks, which is something else to keep in mind. In other words, they are dumbing this thing down to nothing. Running a risk-averse offense the last two weeks, Bortles was allowed to convert just 22 passes. I don't know why it says convert. It should be attempt. Even with the emphasis on avoiding mistakes, he still tossed two interceptions in Sunday's narrow loss to the Bills, aside from a fluky 35 touchdown campaign in 2015 Bortles has never shown any signs of progress his throwing motion is the worst in the NFL Bortles's Mark Sanchez-esque extension is looking like a major blunder for GM Dave Caldwell Bortles is due a 1 million dollar roster bonus in March and 6.5 million of his 14 million in 2019 salary is guaranteed Cody Kessler will start the final five games of 2018 before the Jaguars begin the season for a fr- begin the search for a franchise quarterback in the offseason. So Bortles is done, man. He's 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 checked out. He's got nothing left. The the, you know, Doug Marone and Hackett have dumbed this offense down to just absolutely nothing and he just can't do it. So in weeks 13, 14, 15, and 16, Cody Kessler is the guy. For whatever reason, however, they put Bortles back in halfway through week 16 and then let him play week 17. Week 17 was his worst game of the year, believe it or not. According to Pro Football Focus, it was his worst game. In his final game, Blake Bortles completed 15 of 28 passes for 107 yards with no touchdowns and an interception, while adding four rushes for 15 yards Sunday in the Jaguars' Week 17 loss to Houston. So, I mean, that's as bad as it gets for a quarterback. I, I shouldn't even need to go any further to explain why this team fell apart in 2018. This is everything you need to know. But oh wait, there's more. The number one wide receiver, who by the way was hurt for most of of 2017 anyways, but Allen Robinson is where? He is now a Chicago Bear. What about Marquise Lee, one of their top wide receivers from last year? Where is he? He's on IR. All right, well, what about Allen Hearns? He was one of their top guys last year. right? I think he was the number two wide receiver. Where is he? Oh, he's in Dallas now. The only wide receiver they had that was any good was D.D. Westbrook. D.D. Westbrook was ranked as the 46th best wide receiver. So using that thing that I talked about yesterday where you kind of want your number one wide receiver to at least be in the top 32, basically D.D. Westbrook is a potential number two wide receiver, was operating as their only wide receiver. The number two guy, Dante Moncrief, was not good. Keelan Cole was below average. D.J. Chark, who they uh, drafted, who I hate even saying his name because it makes me think of uh, Baby Shark, do-do-do-do-do-do. Marquise Leon IR, Jaden McKinnon, or McKin, I don't know, whatever, IR. They just, they don't have wide receivers. As far as running backs go, they still have Leonard Fournette. But a little secret about Leonard Fournette, he's not all that good of a running back. He's actually a pretty decent receiver, but as a runner, even in 2017, he had two games that were graded as good. The rest were either average or below average, most of them being below average. He was the third best running back on the team last year. The number one guy on their team overall, better than Allen Robinson in 2017, who was the second highest graded guy, is Corey Grant. Corey Grant played three games, only 65 total snaps. So, you know, small sample size. But either way, talented running back, he's on IR. TJ Yeldon in 2017 was a better running back last year. He's garbage this year. Carlos Hyde they brought in was terrible. But what about the offensive line? Well, I'm glad you asked. Left tackle, Cam Robinson, IR. Left guard, Patrick Omame, was complete... I mean, he's been getting worse every year since 2015. 2015, he was very good. 2016, he was good. 2017, he was average. Continuing his slide in 2018, he was pretty bad in 2018. He just continues to get worse every year. The trend continued. Center Brandon Linder is maybe the only consistently good football player left from 2017. Guess where he was? IR. Oh, and by the way, they brought in Andrew Norwell to help play guard. He's on IR. <laughs> so there's that. AJ Can, right guard. Just a mediocre player, dead average. Right? He's he's maybe the best offensive lineman they had and he's basically Lane Taylor. What about right tackle Jeremy Parnell? IR. As a matter of fact, they have seven tackles, five of them were on IR. 5 out of 7. Jeremy Parnell, IR, Josh Wells, IR, Will Richardson, IR, Josh Walker, IR, Cam Robinson, IR. They only had two left. What about tight ends? Well, they had Mercedes Lewis, who was a phenomenal run blocker and pass blocker for this team, and a decent receiver. Remember, what we have this year is nothing like what the Jaguars had last year. Which, by the way, this is maybe something to consider when we talk about what do we do with the tight end. Mercedes Lewis was very good for the Jaguars. We have an offensive coordinator that knew what to do with Mercedes Lewis. He's now on this team. I would say we're probably going to keep Mercedes Lewis, would be my guess at this point. But he's gone. James O'Shaughnessy was their number three wide or tight end last year. He's their number one this year. Now, they did bring in Austin Safarian Jenkins, who's actually a pretty good wide receiver. He graded out real well. Guess what? IR. Which, again, for all the Packer fans that constantly complain about injuries, please stop. IR, 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 IR. Everybody's on IR. The one guy they want to be on IR, their quarterback, he just stays healthy the whole time. The team just has nothing. 2017, number one guy, Corey Grant, IR. Number two guy, Alan Robinson, is on the Bears. Linder, their number three guy, IR. The number four guy from 2017, Marquise Lee, IR. Fifth highest ranked guy, Keelan Cole, completely fell off, probably because he's now thrust into the number one spot and he's trash. Alan Hearns is now in Dallas. Max McCaffrey, who is their number seven highest graded guy, is now in San Francisco. Jeremy Parnell, their number eight highest graded guy, IR. Blake Bortles, their number 10 highest-graded guy, complete trash. Fullback Tommy Bohan fell off. Uh, Number 12 highest-graded guy, Mercedes Lewis, is now with the Packers. Uh, Number 13, Jalen Strong, he's gone. James O'Shaughnessy, not good. Their number 15-graded offensive player, Josh Wells, IR. I mean, are you kind of getting it? I mean, everything just completely imploded. You you lose your entire offensive line to IR. You lose your, your... Very important piece, tight end to the Packers. You lose all of your wide receivers to Dallas, to the Bears, to injuries. Your quarterback completely just implodes in on himself to the point where you bench him for literally anybody that's on the team. Your running back has never really been all that good, the guy that you expended a first-round pick on. Your backup running backs are all trash. So you can't, you, you can't throw the ball because you don't have wide receivers, you don't have a quarterback, you don't have an offensive line. You can't run the ball because you don't have a running back or an offensive line. They don't have a single thing on this team. There were only three players graded as good. Leonard Fournette, which is 100% based on his receiving grade. D.D. Westbrook, oh and by the way, Leonard Fournette was hurt all year. D.D. Westbrook at wide receiver who I mentioned was like the 42nd best wide receiver in the NFL, and then Brandon Linder, the center, who played nine games but spent the rest of the year on IR. So of the three guys graded as good, Leonard Fournette played eight games, Brandon Linder played nine, Dee Westbrook is by himself. How many guys were graded as, you know, below average to terrible? 20. Keelan Cole, Josh Lambeau, Calais Campbell... These, some of these guys are a kicker and a defender. This is like one play, but whatever. Bear with me. David Wills, w- Williams, TJ Yeldon, Blake Bell, Tyler Shatley, uh, Niles Paul, Cody Kessler, Chris Reed, uh, Tommy Bohan, Carlos Hyde, DJ Chark, Patrick Omame, uh, David Greenidge, Jamal Charles for a couple games, Rashad Green, Brandon Wilds, Josh Walker, Corey Robinson. All trash. You can't have expectations for this team. You just can't. And for the record, this team actually did win games. They started the season. Granted, this is before a lot of the injuries, but Blake Bortles is still Blake Bortles. And the guys that are missing, the wide receivers that went to other teams and other guys that went to other teams, are still gone. They beat the Giants 20-15. to They beat the Patriots 31-20. to And they beat the Jets 31-12. to After that, they just completely fell apart. They somehow managed to beat the Dolphins 17 to 7. The only other win was to the Colts, and they beat them because the <laughs> the Colts scored exactly zero points. There were no touchdowns. It was six to nothing. So looking at the offense, I can't even call that a win. So after their three and one start, they went two and ten, and one of those games they won without scoring a single touchdown. So yeah, really really bad. But but keep in mind, even if you go back to 2017, that's not a super talented team. And by the way, five and eleven. The, the nightmare that I described to you is a 5-11 and 11 team. Going 10-6 and six and nearly getting to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles, Leonard Fournette, Marquise Lee, Keelan Cole, and Alan Hearns. Man, I, I, I take my hat off because that is ridiculous. Now granted, the defense led the way. There's no question about it. But that's th- this, is, this is ridiculous. I mean, they scored 26 points a game. That's not bad. Again, fifth in the NFL. It's not like the offense was entirely inept. Fifth in points, sixth in yards. They were ninth in yards per attempt, 2nd in rushing touchdown, 11th in net yards per attempt passing. I think there's kind of a lot there. It's also safe to say that Nathaniel Hackett is going from one of the worst offenses in the NFL to, you know, from Blake Bortles to Aaron Rodgers, from DeeDee Westbrook to Devontae Adams, from Leonard Fournette to Aaron Jones, which doesn't sound like a big jump. You'd think Leonard Fournette is better. No, not at all. However, what they've done with Leonard Fournette as a receiver, which, by the way, Leonard Fournette coming out of college he, he was, that was the big knock on him. This guy has stone hands, right? He's, he's just, he's unbelievably athletic, right? His speed compared to how big he is, right? The, the general power that this guy has is un, unheard of. It's unhuman. Human beings should not be able to move the way he moves given his size. Absolute freak. But he had stone hands, and it's like, well, this guy can never be a receiver, and that was the big knock on him. He's, he's a very good receiving back now. That's an impressive thing. And and you know, Nathaniel Hackett was was the offensive coordinator for this team when uh, when Leonard Fournette came on board. Now, I'm sure there's running back coaches and all these different guys that also helped out, but you know, to, to turn Mr. Stonehands, Mr. you know, power between the tackles kind of guy into a really solid receiving back, it, it's I mean, if, if he couldn't do that, he would be just a complete bust. And, and you know, maybe get this guy a better offensive line and he's gonna just show the world how great he is, whatever. But it it it's promising for me because again, we're we're looking at LaFleur who's going to want to do some stuff with the running backs, and he's going to try to get these guys also to operate as receivers, and you have to assume Aaron Jones is gonna play a big part in that. And again, you've got a guy who has done what he's done with Leonard Fournette, his ability to work with running backs, you know, again, Leonard Fournette isn't a great back, but You you can see where that chemistry would come in, where Lafleur would look at him and be like, yeah, let's let's do this, you know. And again, offensive line, even as bad as our worst offensive lineman, it's it's heads and tails above what the Jaguars have. He gets Mercedes Lewis back, which again, don't know if we're keeping him. Wouldn't be the worst idea though, because that's the first thing I want to know: can you do what you did in Jacksonville? Because if if we can get Mercedes Lewis to play like he did in Jacksonville in Green Bay, huge. And who and who's to say what he can't do with everybody else too? I'm skeptical of what Mike McCarthy did as far as utilizing tight ends, because you see across the board, granted all these guys are getting older, but they're talented football players, and they all seem to fall off when they come to Green Bay. Like, isn't that kind of, kind of a weird coincidence? Martellus Bennett was phenomenal with the Patriots. He comes to Green Bay and he's trash. I just don't think McCarthy knew what to do with tight ends. I, I can't help but think that. We've had so many guys that were supposed to just be absolute freaks, absolute studs that come here and just bust out, just complete busts. I guess what I'm getting at is is we look at the offense as it is, and we still look at the draft and free agency and say, here's our holes. What I'm questioning, though, is how much talent is unearthed on the team that we have. What if Jimmy Graham, and again, he's he's old, he's over the hill, fine, I get all that. What if Jimmy Graham could just play up to the potential of what he did in Seattle? What if he could just be the guy that we thought he was going to be where he's not going to help between the 20s all that much, but he's going to be a huge red zone threat? What if Mercedes Lewis was once again one of the best run blocking and pass blocking tight ends in the NFL, and Lafleur and Hackett knew how to utilize that? What if they were able to draw up schemes that got wide receivers open, and we had six foot five and six foot four wide receivers that are, you know, we, we've got a guy that's six foot four runs a sub four four, and he's open in the middle of the field, and he catches the ball, and he can just take it the distance. He can absolutely take just. Just rip your face off from anywhere on the field. I don't know why that's what I went with, but he could do that if he wanted to. Just trust me. Same with Equinemius. I've been saying since for a while now, he's, he would be a pretty good slot receiver because what he does in the middle of the field, right, when he's got sort of a free release, he doesn't do real good in press coverage if somebody gets their hands on him, but you put him in the slot, let him just try to go untouched across from somewhere, and he's just he's unstoppable. Get him open. Running slant routes, crossing routes across the field, and get Aaron Rodgers to to find these guys. And again, a lot of this is is simplifying things for the quarterback. That's what a lot of the modern NFL offenses are. It's it's why so many of these teams are successful. Why did Jared Goff go from being a terrible quarterback to a great quarterback? Because before Sean McVay came on board, he was asked to run an offense like the Packers had. Right? It's very complex. You got to make intelligent decisions and pinpoint throws. Now they have these sort of layered routes where all your guys, I mean, th- this isn't like every play, but it's, it's an example of what they do, where you've got like two guys in the exact same field of vision, just at different levels, with one of them should be open. So essentially, you're, you're, you don't have to go through progression. You're doing two progressions at the exact same time to see if one of these guys is open, and if they are, you pull the trigger. So you simplify things for Aaron Rodgers. You also make the throws easier because guys are getting open. And again, hopefully we're unearthing some talent. And you know, even look at the running back. You run the ball more, which is all we've been begging for all year. Good, because we should be running the ball more. But also, you put more emphasis on running the ball, and you take these guys to another level. You, you, you practice it, you rehearse it, you stress it, how important it is. We are going to run the ball, and we will run the ball well. Aaron Jones was able to do what he was doing with an offensive line that didn't even know how to run block. They're just kind of improvising because it's like, we don't really practice this stuff. I mean, you kind of know what to do because you're a football player and this is your job. Like, okay, I got to go out here and I got to reach over there and I got to get that guy. But imagine Lafleur coming in and you drill it over and over and over and over, similar to like what Lombardi did. Maybe not to that degree, but when they practice and rehearse that power sweep, it's just, it's perfecting it and actually really caring about it and saying, we will get this right and we will drill it over and over and over again. Look at the screen game. Look how embarrassing it was for such a long time, trying to see the Packers try to execute a screen. Just how embarrassing that is. You, you can't get guys open. You, you can't, you know, the timing is all off. The guy catches the ball, and the offensive linemen are trying to block, and they're just completely whiffing on guys, and they get t- It's just, it was embarrassing. I think 2018 was a little better than 2017, but, oh, it was embarrassing. It's one thing to just draw up a play. It's another thing to get these guys prepared, and I don't think the Packers were prepared for anything. Let's utilize these guys properly. Let's, let's accentuate their strengths. Let's, we, we've got two different very dynamic running backs, and this, we're probably going to be adding another one at some point, whether it's a draft, free agency, uh, undrafted free agent, whatever. But figure out how to utilize their strengths. It essentially could operate as though we went through a draft and free agency without even doing anything. In other words, we can go into next year and suddenly we have better wide receivers. Not because we have different players, but because guys are just now going from being you know, kind of like fourth string, third string quality wide receivers to number two wide receivers. That's kind of my hope. And that, that's kind of what you need anyways. The draft can only do so much. It, it is a very important piece, but you can only draft so many guys. And once you get past a certain level, you, you, let's say fourth round, depending on what position you're talking about, but after the fourth round, it's kind of a crapshoot. So you figure if you've got four picks in four rounds, you got four players, and about half of them are going to pan out and half of them are going to bust out. So, I mean, if you get, like, two really quality guys in a draft, that's that's a decent draft. Like, two guys that are starters and contributors that the national media actually knows their names. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. That was a good pickup. And then in free agency, maybe you get three or four guys, and it's the same situation. You know, maybe you get one really big-name guy that does pan out. Khalil Max, the Allen Robinsons. In our case, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but again, it's it's at some point, and this is why I've been talking about this a lot lately, it comes down to development, right? Draft and develop. The other part of that is development. If you're not developing guys and making them better, this is never going to work. Draft, free agency, none of that stuff matters. If guys come here and play terribly, you know, if, if you get free agents, and Mercedes Lewis looks like he's never played football in his life, and Jimmy Graham looks like a horrible tight end, and nobody can perform here and then you draft guys and, and, and you know, their rookie year just kinda tells you everything you need to know because they're never gonna get any better. You're not gonna ever be a good football team. You have to have coaches that can coach. They have to have that passion and that energy and, and trying to, you know, again, build offenses around their strengths. And that requires that that brings me back to grind. That requires extra effort. You cannot be like McCarthy and say, this is the offense we run. And then when new guys come in, you sit them down, and then you go through the exact same speech. Here's our offense. Here's the playbook. Read it, learn it. That's what we run here. Not even, like, trying to figure out how to utilize the guys that we have. That's why we get guys with, like, unique strengths, right? Super fast, super tall guys. What are they doing? The exact same thing as the the, the Devontae Adams is doing. Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Devontae Adams could not be any different as far as their skill set. And the most creative you can get with that skill set and, and guys like Trevor Davis is what, a go route? Like, oh, he's fast. Make him run straight and run past the guy and then Rodgers can throw it and there you go. But anyways, the, you know, and again, can't tell the future. This, this could be a series of horrible hires. Um, you know, the, the offense could completely implode and Aaron Rodgers could hate these guys and who knows what's going to happen. But these seem to check all the boxes that I can possibly come up with that I think matter. They seem to be running the kind of scheme that is successful in 2019 at defeating 2019 defenses, or at least 2018 defenses. They understand it. They're young. They're hungry. They're guys that, that are constantly wanting to grow and evolve. And again, it's, it's about that energy. And they want to make sure Hackett, LaFleur, all these guys, they bring that kind of energy that we want to be the greatest. We want to really you know, grow and innovate and, and, and win a championship. And you know, they're not just going through the motions. There's a lot of talk about Hackett and how, how motivated he gets and how you know vocal he gets. And that, you know, great, awesome. Almost has some of that college football energy. A L- little bit of extra rah-rah, which is awesome. I mean, Sean McVay's got a little extra rah-rah, and that does carry some weight. You know, let's see a guy show some fire. I never once saw our offensive coordinator, Joe Philbin, on the side. I, I just, I don't remember seeing him on TV. I don't remember seeing him doing anything. They showed Mike McCarthy showing his scrunched up face, just, you know, oh, what are you doing? Right, that that, that same look that Aaron Rodgers inherited, when he stands over there just going, oh, this is dumb, I hate this. And then they pan over to McCarthy, and he's he's doing his scrunch face. Ah, oh, what are you doing? That was the Packers' season for the last three years. Just a lot of guys doing scrunch face going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Why'd you do that? Uh-huh. I never even saw, like, I-, I don't know. McCarthy just could not care any less. McCarthy kind of became what the Packers fans became when the Packers were successful all the time. I started talking about how it, it, it almost got unfun to become a Packers fan, at least for me. Because there's been so much success that winning becomes the standard. And essentially, when things go right, that's just what's expected. Why would I cheer that? Of course we we threw it for 20 yards and, and you know just drove down the field and got a touchdown. That's that's what we drew up here. That was the plan. Then they executed it. What do you want me to do? Get excited about it? But then when things don't go well, it's like, what is happening? We're not supposed to lose ever. What, what do you mean we're not the number one team in the power ranking? We Of course we're the best. How dare you say fifth? That's what it became like for me to be a Packers fan. Everything was just expected. I expect to be the best. I expect this. I expect that. I expect Everyone's supposed to talk about Rodgers. Nobody cares about Brady or anybody else. Rodgers, 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 Rodgers is all I want to hear. And Devontae and Jordy and Cobb, greatest wide receiver group in the entire NFL. And greatest this and greatest that. And That was just the expectation. Let's get some people in here who knows what it's like to be Horrible like the Tennessee Titans or the Jacksonville Jaguars, to come in here and be hungry and actually realize how how precious it is to win and be hungry for that and fight for that. Guys that can come in and and solidify a group, a locker room, who can get guys fired up. I think Mike Pettin has that. You don't see it when he's up in the booth. He looks like he's watching a movie or something. He actually just looks like a fan watching the game. He's just kind of like scrunching his eyes like, Oh, oh, look at that guy. What's he doing over there? I wonder what's going to happen on this play. I don't know. But you hear a different story about the guy when he's in the locker room and when he's doing meetings and stuff. He's, he's a pretty hot-headed guy, in a good way, not like screaming at everybody, but as far as just bringing a certain kind of mentality. We're going to be mean, we're going to be aggressive. And we'll see what Lafleur does to kind of influence that. You wouldn't think he'd have any part in that, but there is sort of an overall philosophy. It's not just offense, right? These two things need to play off each other, right? You, you look at smash-mouth offenses, usually those, those offenses are paired with... with kind of smash-mouth defenses. Really good teams tend to have sort of this pairing between their offense and defense. But, um I mean, it'll be interesting. There's there's only so much that we can actually delve into this. And I'm, I'm doing the best I can to give you the full picture. Obviously, very impressive resume. You look at 2018, things fell apart, but there's excuses. Same with Lafleur, He was fantastic with all these other things. Yeah, but look at the Titans. Yeah, but injuries. Yeah, but there's no talent. Yeah, but, you know, Delaney's out. And yeah, but the yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. Yeah, but. And at the end of the day, none of that really matters because now LaFleur is a head coach and he gets to set the tone and he gets to decide how things are run. He gets to set the practice schedule. He gets to decide what we emphasize and de-emphasize as opposed to the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel, who got to decide all that stuff. I mean, calling plays on the sideline, they only can tell you so much. And at the end of the day, it's it's that just culminates into... a A bigger picture which culminates into a bigger picture which ties into the defense, which ties into special teams, which ties into points and and points against and wins and losses. And all we're looking at wins and losses and say, oh, look, they were terrible. There's so much as far as intricacy that, you know, unless I'm in the meetings with Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst and and Lafleur himself, I'm not really going to understand this full picture. And even then, it's just a matter of, you know, I don't know, man, it's about fit. Mark Murphy I think kind of Mark Murphy I think ultimately is the one setting the tone in Green Bay. He's the one that decides what kind of tone we want, right? LaFleur has a tone, but he's only here because his tone matches what Mark Murphy wants. Same with Pettin. Pettin had a certain energy and tone, so Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst decided this is what we want from our defense. We want this kind of a defense. So yeah, Mike Pettin is the one making that happen. Mike Pettin is the one who agrees with them, but he got the job because he agrees. So this team that we're going to see is essentially what Brian Gutekunst wants. And that's a good thing, too, because Brian Gutekunst is the guy drafting and going out and getting free agents. He needs to have input on what kind of an offense and defense we want because, really, this is his team. This isn't the head coach's team. This is Brian Gutekunst's team. He's the one that decides what kind of football players he wants on this team. It was, it's not Mike McCarthy. It wasn't last year either. Right when guys left Green Bay, it wasn't because Mike McCarthy said I want him out. Brian Gutekunst said I don't want this guy on my team. He's the one that f- picks what kind of you know when we get an edge rusher, what kind are we getting? A four three guy? Are we getting a three four guy? Is he going to be you know a, a speed guy like Brian Burns, who's small but fast off the edge? Are we going to get a Cleveland Farrell, who's kind of big and bulky and strong, like a Nick Perry type tight end? Are we going to get a, a blocking tight end or receiving tight end? Or you know what what are we getting? Running back, are we going to get the, the 5'11, 230 pound guy, or are we going to get uh, more receiving back like Gaskins? Offensive line, are we going to get more of a road grader out of out of you know Wisconsin or or Notre Dame or Alabama, or are we going to get more of a you know Washington State kind of quick on your feet, get the ball out quickly kind of guy? You know, safeties, is it sideline to sideline? And that depends on all these different factors. I mean, Brian Gutekunst is the one that's doing all this, so he needs to decide what kind of a team he wants. And if he's building a certain team based on what kind of players he wants on his team, you got to have a coach that's going to work with these kinds of players. And I think that's kind of a problem when you have a coach that says, I don't care what you bring me, this is my offense. And if they don't fit, that's not my problem. That's not going to work ever. That will never work. That's not how this works. The GM builds the team. This is Brian Gutekunst's team. It's not LaFleur's team. It's not even Mark Murphy's team. But despite all the, the 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 talk, Brian Gutekunst has built and will build our team. So, again, it makes sense for him to be able to handpick, maybe not 100% himself, but he said that this was his number 1 candidate. I think it would be behoove Mark Murphy to allow Gutekunst to have the most say, like if this guy's my number 2 but his number 1, let's just agree that This is the guy. But now everything's kind of coming together. Brian Gutekunst has his coach. He has his offensive coordinator. He's going to get the special teams guy he likes. He has the defensive coordinator he likes. He's starting to draft the players that he likes. He's bringing in the free agents he likes. He's shipping off the players he doesn't like. He's shaping this team in his image, which is what you're supposed to do. You decide what kind of a football team you want. You decide the culture. You decide the attitude. You're the one who does all that. So he has to do that. He started the process last year, but it was sort of a half measure, right? We got rid of the defensive coordinator, but we brought in a new one. But we kind of kept most of the same defensive pieces. We kept all our pretty much our entire offensive, you know, group. But we brought back Joe Philbin, even though Joe Philbin is basically Mike McCarthy, right? They're they're kindred spirits in that way. They're still running antiquated offenses and whatnot. Now we're blowing it up, and pretty much everybody just goes unless unless you can be new. Right, this is a new team with a new philosophy and a new energy. And if I believe you can bring that, you know, we decided to keep the defensive line coach, No dur because he's awesome. The tight ends coach is a little bit more interesting. Why do we keep him? The tight ends aren't very good. I have to assume it's because he has that sort of energy. He's not dragging 2018 Packers energy into that tight ends coaching room. He's going to be 2019 Packers, and I think that's the big question. If you want to keep your job. You cannot bring this Mike McCarthy stuff into this team anymore because that's gone and that's dead and that's over with. This is now a Lafleur Gudekun team. And if you if you don't fit that that group, if you don't fit that narrative, if you don't fit that kind of general attitude, whatever you want to call it, you're gone. And that's good. That should be the case because you can't have split personalities between coaches. We're coming into this with one unified vision. And either you're a part of it or you're not. So plenty to be excited about. And again, the numbers can only tell us so much. It, it, it ultimately is going to come down to can they unify and can they get the, the players to buy in? Because I think getting getting players to buy in, especially when you have talented players like the Packers do, I, I think that can cover up a multitude of sins, including some some potentially bad play calling. I mean, we, we saw that for years, Aaron Rodgers just dragging people. I think we need to get a, a motivated group of guys. I think that's going to be a big piece. But anyways, that's what we've got. We've got our offensive coordinator now all locked up. Pretty impressive resume. Um, So we'll see. Anyways, you folks enjoy your Tuesday. It is the worst day of the week. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.